Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, welcome to Your Family Dog. I'm Tina Spring, and I'm joined today by my beautiful and smart co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith. And today, we're going to talk about trade and resource guarding in our our dogs. And the good news for you is that Julie and I are both weirdos and have lots of horrible and awesome and hysterical stories. So we will teach you while also entertaining you with our quirkiness and weirdness and life experience. So, you know, we're all in this together, if nothing else. So, Julie, Absolutely. so, so, um, do you view, re- I think resource guarding is almost even a, a little bit of a separate topic. I do have a yes. caveat that I want to, that I want to talk about with, with like trade or that kind of thing. This, that, that is an important distinction um, because it can get people into trouble. So the average person that we're talking to who has a puppy and the puppy's finding things, what do you, what, what would you say most people do um, like to try to work on that? Like, what would you say happens most often? I would say what happens most often is if the puppy, you mean, so if the puppy grabs something, he's not supposed to like an Italian leather shoe right, or a, a glove or something. I yes. think most of them um, jump up and yell, no, 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 no. Run over, pry the dog's mouth open and take it out. Okay. And so, so that's most people, right? So then let's say you've got people you've been working with. What do you think they're most often doing? What hopefully they're doing, because we've talked about trades and exchanges, is I always remind them you have probably a little bit more time than you think. And what I would recommend that you do is you first ask your dog to drop it. And maybe he will, maybe he won't. But the other thing I do is I tell them, get something valuable that you know your dog really loves and offer that to him. Show him what you got. Say, hey, look, this is what I have. If you drop that, I'll be happy to give you this. And to try and so do a trader. Like, so kind of like two little girls playing Barbie and your Barbie has the dress on that I am like, huh, I kind of want my Barbie to wear that dress. So I kind of come up with something that's real, make, build up the enthusiasm for the thing my Barbie's wearing to see if like, maybe I can get you to trade with me. Absolutely. That's a very good so, analogy. So the first, so the first analogy is kind of how like our sweet baby boys play where they just knock you down and take the thing. Kind of yes. a very typical priming <laughs> behavior, right? And then like slightly more evolved, I'm going to lie to you about the value of the thing I have and inflate its value in an attempt to trick you into giving me the thing that you really want, right? And I would say that the third one is people come up with food. Right. They come up with food that the dog wants. Right. So um, I got to see Nando Brown in Alabama. And one of the things that was amazing that he talked about, which I had never, ever heard discussed, was that breed type matters. So when we think of the predatory cycle. Really? It's, I yes. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, really. So that's why I'm going to talk about it, because it was it was crazy fascinating to me and changed the world for me. So the predatory cycle is I stalk chase, grab hold, shake, which is the kill, right? Parade and possess, dissect and consume. That is the full, like, if we think about 
what a dog killing something or a lion killing something does, that's what they do. Okay, so for all of the gun dogs, all of the sporting dogs who retrieve birds, it is intrinsically reinforcing for them to hold something in their mouth. So when yes, we and I use that actually when I'm right. when I'm in lots of different ways to help owners like we'll give your dog something to hold, right, and that right. will help so, to calm them down. One of the things that we're seeing more and more in these gun dogs is resource guarding. Like think about golden retrievers, the single worst resource guarder I have ever experienced in my life. Like a highly dangerous dog. Yes, was a dog that the now probably was predisposed to significant resource guarding anyway, but the first trainer they talked to told them to trade for food. Well, you cannot parade and possess a food item very easily. And so what ended up happening, and Nando Brown explained it beautifully in Joe Rosie, what explained because we technically punished the dog for giving up the item. Because what he really wants to do is display it. So what you want to do, we need the Barbie analogy here, right? Right. (laughs) So you want, so you want to trade for something the dog's allowed to have, not for food. Because a lot of times that is what we as trainers tell people to do. So, you know, as everything else, like the deeper you get into your career, the more complicated it all gets. If only it was all so simple. Back to my, it depends. Right. But there are lots of ways I would agree to deal with a puppy putting everything in their mouth or a dog putting everything in their mouth. But this is an important caveat for safety. Sometimes we say, well, no, 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 I'm giving him a piece of chicken that that's a reward. But it's not if the intrinsic reinforcement is to possess and carry around the thing going, look, I have a beautiful bird in my mouth. Right. So I was spoiled. I grew up with Doberman Pinscher. Doberman Pinscher puppies find whatever they find and they bring it to you and tell you how beautiful it is. So they give you these really beautiful opportunities to go, oh, my gosh, that's a beautiful bony. Here, take it back. Off you go. Or they bring you a shoe and you go, oh, look at that. You found my shoe. Thank you so much. Here's a bony. Off you go. And then and then I got a Jack Russell and they it turns out do not like bring you things to marvel at how smart they are, you have to teach that. So I was spoiled. I just thought all dogs did that. Turns out, not so much. I had to learn other ways. Well, it's, it's interesting you should say that about retrievers because I have a, a story about my Bingley. Um, there was one, it was in the winter because, because there was snow. So it wasn't, anyway, it was cold and it was snowy at the park. And we were the only ones there with our three dogs, our golden retriever, our burner, and my flat coat. So we let him off lead to run around the park and I'm looking and there's Bingley and he's running towards me. And I'm like, huh, what you got, dude? Uh, looks like a Frisbee and I brought tennis balls. So can't figure out quite what you have. So he comes running up to me and what he has is a half of a frozen groundhog. It's like somebody had taken the groundhog, flattened it, cut it in half and handed him 
the front end of it. So it looks like it's about the size of a frisbee. It's, the, it's a flattened groundhog in a little mouth. I was like, eh! And anyway, I'm like, great. I am not getting into a tug of war with you over a flattened groundhog. Not Just not doing this. But what I did know was what he loved and what was really important to him. And that was tennis balls. And I used to call them the golden orb of control. So I would, t- I took out a tennis ball. I said, oh, Pinky, look what mommy has. I have the ball. Do you want it? You want me to throw the ball? Because I will. But you got to drop the groundhog. And then mommy will throw the ball. So I'm waving the tennis ball around. And finally, he's vibrating. He drops the groundhog. Within a half a second, that ball is out of my hand. He takes off like a shot. I reach down, grab the groundhog, toss it to Brad, who throws it into the woods. And then he and I and the other dogs run over to meet Bingley before he could remember the groundhog. And I kept throwing the ball away from the groundhog. But it kind of goes back to what you were saying, is that what I knew was what was important to Bingley was a tennis ball. If I, if somebody, I always ask people, come up with five things you know your dog loves. It can be activities. It can be things. It can be food. If it's food, we need a hierarchy. And I always say for, for Bingley, it was tennis ball, tennis ball, tennis ball, because me. Those are the five things he loved. And so knowing what your dog loves and what's important to him is really important when we're talking about trades, because oftentimes what he loves, like you said, it was going to tie into the behavior, to the essence of who this dog is. So if you know what your dog loves, what he loves to do, you can use that to your advantage, because one of the things we don't want to do is teach our dogs to resource guard by taking away their prize. Right. So so when we decided we were going to talk about this topic, one of the things that was really amazing is both Julie and I had a bunch of examples, not just from our own dogs, but customer dogs and friends dogs. So I think that one of the great ways that a podcast can really bless a family is one for us to use real life examples of like, okay, this is how they did it. But here's maybe how some ways you might adjust it for your situation or that we might augment it to make it a little bit safer or a better outcome. Um, But also like it is kind of entertaining. It's pretty funny to hear some of these things. I mean, honestly, Julie's dog getting on the table and escaping the house last episode was a pretty fantastic story. So if you haven't listened to that one, oh, oh, you have an update. Okay. I do. Um, So I finally got a hold of my neighbor and I said, was the front door open? She said, yeah, it was. So I hadn't closed the screen door tight and hadn't closed the inside door. I'd gone out to get the paper and hadn't closed it. So she did escape during her normal route, which would be out the front door. So she wasn't Houdini. So update complete. So when I was very young, my parents bred and showed Doberman Pinschers. Um, I was probably 16, 17, something like that, maybe a little bit younger at home over the summer watching my siblings while my mom was um, off at work. And I look out in the backyard and our female Doberman had a bird in her mouth and a wing was flapping away. So the bird was um, probably at the very end of its life. And so I call my mother at work, like all teenagers do to, oh my goodness, like as if she can solve it, like she can have a conversation with Raven and tell her to spit out the bird. So I call my mom all panicked. The the, do- the dog has a bird in her mouth and it's still alive. And my mom says, well, go out and take it away from her. And I'm, and Raven was amazing. Like she was like a black and tan Labrador retriever, right? Like all of our Doberman pinchers were super sweet. You could take anything away from them. 
Um, they were very tolerant. But I am kind of freaked out by birds, and I don't really do blood and gore all that well, and kind of assumed that this bird was not without damage, right? So I am now an adolescent in the con- in the throes of the conflict of, I'm heartbroken that this poor bird is probably scared and injured and dying, but it's also icky, and I am not yet resilient enough to handle it. So Got it. my mother... My mother hears my, my, uh, I don't know that I want to go do that. That sounds disgusting. And my mother in her brilliance said, you know what? Go read your book for 30 minutes. It'll take care of itself. Now it's probably not the ideal answer. It's kind of sad that the bird lost its life, but the reality is Raven did not die. The bird maybe was just really dumb that day or like lost a bet or something, got himself into mischief that he, she, the bird let a Doberman catch it. Um, Raven did not go on to murder thousands of other birds like that did not occur. And in the end, it wasn't really an emergency except maybe for the bird. Right. And maybe for right. my little teenager heartbroken heart. So Again, I love that your answer with puppy owners is it's not an emergency because that energy going into whatever we're going to do as a as a response to our dog getting something they're not supposed to have. Ideally, we would just take a moment and go, is it an emergency? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen if your dog's playing with a copperhead? Bad, bad, horrible things can occur. Um but if your dog picked up a flip-flop, you got a second. Like, cooler right. heads can prevail. Right. And that's what I tell owners is that most of the time, yeah, you've got more time than you think you do. Yes. Because they, they come and they showed it to you. The other thing is, is I think it's also important that if you do not panic, and um, our dogs can mirror our emotions. So if we start panicking then the dog is going to start to panic and may hold on to this more intensely or may take off or, you know, their, their panic mode may be, Oh, something's really bad. I should get out of here. So now we're, now we're in flight with the object. So it's kind of like, take a breath. Let's go back to the Barbie example. I can remember watching my kids play Barbie and they're at the very beginning of the game. And one of the kids picks up one of their Barbie doll and the Barbie doll is wearing an outfit that I am watching the child take off of the Barbie. They have discarded this outfit until their sibling goes, hey, when you get off that off that Barbie doll, I, I'd like it for my Barbie doll. Oh, well, now suddenly it becomes a big negotiation. Suddenly we raise the right. value of the thing, right? So th- the thing that your neighbor was just going to put out at the trash can to be recycled or hauled off to the to trash suddenly if somebody pulls up and starts looking at that we're like what why are you looking at my stuff like all of a sudden it raises yes. that, that energy that interest increases the value of the object that by the way 10 minutes ago you were discarding and didn't matter right like, so my dogs to be fair have probably found a dead squirrel in the yard i didn't know about and ate it and i've never been the wiser they may do that every day i don't know I don't think so. So you had the Bigley story. 
What what was the next story? Okay, well, one of the other ones I was thinking about was um, was Zuzu. This happened. Well, there are two with Zuzu that happened within the last few months. One was just about a week ago, and the other one is. Did I mention the opossum in one of our previous podcasts? Zuzu with the opossum? No, I don't think you. Ha- well, not with me. All right. Well, we were out at the cottage. This was just a few months ago, and. Um, I was, uh, we got a couple of different floors and, and I was down and down where the TV was and Brad and I watched a movie and he went off to bed and then I was reading or doing something and I had the dogs for another half hour or so. And then I was going up to bed. So I said, come on boys or girls, let's go out. So Zuzu comes up the stairs and she goes out. Clemmy is lumbering her way up the stairs. So I open the door and they can, they will just go out and I will tell them to go potty. They go potty and come back in and we all go to bed. But this particular evening I say, okay, go potty. Zuzi rushes out the door. I'm like, oh, that's not good. And I hear this growling and this kind of kerfuffle going on. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yay. So I said, Zuzu, come on, Zuzu, drop it. Figuring she's picked up something. Come on, come on in, Zuzu, drop it, drop it, whatever. She comes flying past me into the house at the same time Clementine goes out. And I'm like, she's got something in her mouth. And she runs over and she lays down in front of the fireplace on this fur rug we picked up in Scotland. It's a lamb's wool rug. Anyway, so she's lying on this rug. She's got this thing in her mouth. I realize she's got an opossum. And I'm like, oh, great. So I yell, Brad, get up. Zuzu's got the possum. Right? So Brad comes flying down the stairs because he hears my panicky voice, right? His hair's all askew. He's in his underwear. And I'm like, Zuzu has an opossum. I don't know if it's dead. Um, and so I well, look. You'll and you'll so, never know because it's playing possum. Yes, exactly. So finally, um, Clementine wanders in, right? So I run over to the kitchen, grab, we had meatballs that night for dinner. So I grab the rest of the raw meatballs and a garbage bag. So I can blank. I toss okay, the garbage. Okay. So right now, like my brain goes to, I, I want a veterinarian or toxicologist to tell me what is worse for a dog, a newly dead or alive possum or raw meatballs. Like, if if we had to choose, like, which of those is potentially the larger danger? I don't know. It's it's I've never asked myself that turns out that is that is what our friendship has given me is all of these beautiful quandaries I've never considered before. Like if I had a choice of my dog going out a window or going out a door, which one would I prefer? <laughs> if my dog ate possum or if my dog ate raw meatballs. Which one do I prefer? I don't know. I would have to think about it. Well, I prefer the meatballs because I, the, the opossum was still intact. And I really didn't want shredded possum, you know, with all the blood have and guts and stuff. shredded possum? I didn't want freshly <laughs> shredded possum in my living room. Anyway, so I tossed the, I, I don't know, somehow or another, I got the garbage bag to bread. And I'm like, girls, meatballs, girls, meatballs. <laughs> Zuzu drops the opossum and starts going, spitting little possum hairs everywhere. She comes over. I'm holding the dog, shoving meatballs in their faces. And Brad goes to pick up the opossum. He goes, I don't want to pick it up with my hands. I don't know if it's alive or it's dead. I don't want to pick it up. And I said, well, use the fireplace shovel. 
which by the way, possums are really dense. So it's kind of hard to pick up with a fireplace shovel, just an FYI in case. So he's like, this is kind of dense. And they see the shovel starting to wobble a little bit. And the possum goes, kind of snarls a little bit, but then plays dead again. So we stick it in the garbage bag with this little head sticking out, put it on the front porch, close the door and it was gone in the morning. See, it took care of itself. It took care of itself. I did not want it to take care of itself in my living room. Right, of course. So it is my understanding that possum are actually like very, very rarely aggressive. Like they, they do a lot of, they're like me. They feign aggression, <laughs> but they don't actually execute it. Like I will say, like right now I kind of want to punch somebody, but I've never punched anybody in my whole life. If I nearly 52, I haven't punched someone, there's probably not a good chance. And believe me, there have been some people who deserve, deserve a good punching. Like I'm just not likely to do it. So it's right. my understanding that they're actually pretty passive creatures who either play dead, much like myself, or um, you know, like they just give up. There's the, I just go cry. Um, or, or they threaten, they menace, but then there's not anything. Really right. Well, my own feeling was if she had to encounter a, a nighttime, a nocturnal and had to have a nocturnal endeavor, it was so glad it was an opossum, not a raccoon. Right. Because then we're talking or a bat, like then we're talking about whole different levels of scariness or skunk. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay, so, so my next story, we're going to fast forward is to many, many years ago when I had my Jack Russell Terrier, I was on a trip. One of my staff who was a vet student was staying at my house and pet sitting. And she sends me a text with pictures of a turtle on my ottoman, which is fascinating because a we turtle? don't have a turtle. So it turns out that um, Shorty was in the backyard and somehow found, my little Jack Russell at the time, found a turtle and picked it up and was holding it in his mouth and brought it in the house like a ball. And sweet Megan spent some time convincing Shorty that pepperoni was better than a turtle. The turtle was not injured in the encounter and was eventually put on the other side of the fence and released back to his people. Shorty probably ate enough pepperoni to weigh more and the turtle survived. So um, now I of course reminded her that turtles have salmonella and to wash her hands and asked if we needed, if like, okay, he encountered this wildlife. Are there any diseases we need to like, does he need to be, do I need to let my vet know whatever? Cause I'm a dork and I ask those kinds of questions. Um, but turns out, no. That dogs actually have salmonella naturally in their gut anyway, a bunch of different forms. It's part of their gut microbiome. So there was no reason to fret. Very so that good. Was my next one. I have another shorty one. I'll tell you that one next. After All right. Well, after my next day. one is also a Zuzu one. Okay. So and really good, like weasel traps, all sorts of things. Yeah. You know, she's, um, she's special. Um, so this one happened just like last week. I think it was. So the, I had the dogs on leashes and we were standing in the driveway and I don't, I don't have to hold on to their leashes if we're just in the driveway. We were waiting for Brad to join us to go for our evening walk. Right. So Zuzu's over sniffing around this bush. Well, I don't really care that she's sniffing around this bush, but I was thinking, why are you sniffing around the bush? Cause you don't normally sniff around this bush. Why are you sniffing around the bush? Right. 
And Zuzu or Clemmy kind of goes over and sniffs around a little bit too. Brad comes out the door and says, okay, let's go. Zuzu comes out of the bush and I hear this coming from her mouth. And I'm like, that is not a noise you normally make. And I look and her mouth is kind of full. And I'm like, you have a bird. Now, if I know Zuzu, she's not the great white hunter here. Okay. So this is. This is officially the world's dumbest bird. Yes, absolutely. And find out after she's released it, it only has one wing. So which I think might explain how slow this bird really is. Which is why Zuzu got it, right? If I don't. Apps had been dumb previously. Yes. So because it wasn't actually bleeding from where the wing had been, so I'm thinking that it was probably a previous encounter. Anyway, but nonetheless. Zuzu's holding the bird, and she's like, I have a bird. I'm not going to let the bird go, Mom, because it's chipping in my mouth, and this is pretty cool. So I happen to have my bait bag on me, and I've got these chicken fillets, and I took a huge handful. I'm like, Zuzu, look, Mommy's got them. I'm like right up in her nose. Chicken, because I didn't have a ball on me. I didn't have anything else. Clementine's starting to get very interested in what's going on. So I was trying to be calm. Right, because Clementine is, you know, such an angel. Anyway, so I'm like, oh, Susie, come on, look, chicken blaze, look, a whole freaking wad of chicken fillets. And she finally turns, drops the bird. I drop the wad of chicken fillets. She turns to that. Brad takes the leashes, leads the dogs away. And I have now have this wounded bird lying in my driveway. With one wing. With one wing. And it's still breathing. And it's, at least it stopped cheeping. So I had to humanely euthanize the bird. See, that's the thing. Like when my mom was like, uh, I was like, I I don't have it in me. I don't. Even though it would be an act of mercy, like how would I, I don't even know how I would do that. Well, Brad and I were standing there and and he goes, I don't want to do this. And I said, I don't want to do it either. Somebody's got to do it. So we discussed various ways. And finally, we're just standing there. And the poor thing is not going to recover. There's just no way that this bird is and, and even if it did recover, how's it going to live with one wing, right? So I finally said, I'll do it. So I did it. And then Brad felt really bad. He goes, I, I should have done that. And I said, well, why? And he goes, because it's the guy thing. I should have done it as the guy. And I said, you can do the next one. That's fine with me. Right, like The next time I, a single-winged bird ends up in Zuzu's mouth, it's all you, big boy. Yeah, that's right. Well, you did the opossum thing. You know, he's the one who tried, who right. picked up the dense opossum with the with the fireplace shovel. No, and and to be clear, like that's a lot scarier to me. me. That's a that's a lot of marsupial right there. Okay, so fast forward to my next story about Shorty. So Shorty, my Jack Russell, who passed away a couple of years ago and was sweetness and light, um, at ten got his, to my knowledge, first and only squirrel. Um, caught him broadside. So. I go to let dogs in and Shorty comes up on the desk on the deck with a a limp squirrel, newly dead squirrel in his mouth. How did he get the squirrel? I think he caught him. I think the squirrel zigged when he should have zagged and Shorty nailed him and got him. Um, You know, the dogs had been chasing squirrels out of the yard for decades. And so, you know, this was that squirrel's unlucky day and Shorty's lucky day because, you know, the Titanic sinking was a miracle for the lobsters in the kitchen. So 
Um, <laughs> so I had four dogs in the backyard. Shorty was one of them with this squirrel. And he was pretty sure he did not want anybody else to get the squirrel. He wanted to bring it in the house. I, I was resistant to that idea. So I got the other dogs to come in. Again, not an emergency. Got the other dogs to come in crated them so that I, you know, mayhem and foolishness would not be ensuing in the house. And I went and grabbed a bag of pepperoni. And I went and sat on the back deck. And actually, this story I tell pretty regularly in classes, because I think um, while like we've heard over and over again, you know, we take this scary thing that we're, you know, there's a bad outcome away from the dog. But I learned a lot from this one experience. And it again, it shifted my kaleidoscope of view about how to deal with it. So so Shorty has this squirrel. I have pepperoni. That's pretty high value stuff in Shorty land. And so I offered him pepperoni and Shorty walked to the far side of the deck away from me. I sat down so he knew where I would be. I'm not going to steal your squirrel. And. And that dog had never resource guarded ever. Like he was 10 years right. old. He never had a resource guarding incident. So he puts his squirrel down. He comes over. He snatches the pepperoni out of my hand and runs back over to his squirrel and picks it up again. Right. So we now know, we know how important this squirrel is to his little terrier brain at the moment. So I said, okay, well, we're not fighting. We're not fighting. So he, I said, okay, well, I'm not stealing your squirrel. Like if you need to stow it over there 20 feet away, that's okay. But I just ate pepperoni and Shorty would come over and get it. He'd leave his squirrel, come over, get pepperoni, run back to his squirrel. And he did that a whole bunch of times and I'm snacking on a little bit of pepperoni and Shorty's getting a little bit of pepperoni. And over time, over the course of about 10 minutes, he slowly would bring the squirrel closer to leave it to take the pepperoni and then be less enthusiastic about running back to his squirrel. So now I know the balance has shifted a little bit and my squirrel, the squirrel is losing value. Like I'm not making an argument about the squirrel. So eventually he's not even going back to his squirrel. He and I are just playing a little game and nose touch and spin and paw and sit and down and we're eating pepperoni together, having a good day. And I said, you know what? I'm kind of thirsty. I bet you are too. Pepperoni's kind of salty. Like, let's, you want to go in the house and get a drink of water? And he was like, okay, sure. And so in we go and we get a drink of water, no fussing. I, I take some pepperoni and put him in his crate and I go out and get a shovel and fling the squirrel over the fence. So this was a situation. Well, what I took away from it was if at the first opportunity, when I had given him pepperoni, I had reached for that squirrel, we probably would have had a disagreement. I would have perhaps seriously injured me or my relationship with my dog. It needed to be that in his brain, he had like, he had enjoyed his squirrel as much as he needed to before the pepperoni was of higher value. And that he would choose willingly, willingly, not as a trick, not with a bunch of pressure to leave the squirrel and choose to do something else. I squirrel on the back deck and go, you know, pitch him into the backyard over the fence later. It, it's not an emergency. 
I love that story. I love that story. And it reminds me of, of a client of mine who has a golden retriever who's um, very resource guarding. I mean, it's really hard to get him to trade because he drops, grabs, treats, goes back. So I think that this might be a method we can use with his dog. So I think it's really important to understand that you oftentimes you, you, you got to make a quick assessment of the situation. You're right. If your dog is in the middle, you know, having a, a disagreement with a copperhead, yeah, you got to get him out of there, you know, super quick. But it's a whole nother thing if we're just talking about a flip flop or an already dead squirrel or a possum who's playing dead. You know, you can you've got a little bit of time. To, to work this out and to maintain your relationship with your dog. The thing that I think is really important about training, though, is it's something in some ways that you have to practice. I have a great story. Robin Bennett, who was uh, one of my trainers who trained me in Virginia and who will be on Your Family Dog in just a few weeks. We're very excited to have Robin to come on and talk to us about doggy daycare as an expert. But she wait. told I me this story. Peter, I've heard I can't wait. I, I love Robin, and this is going to be great fun. But she tell she told me a story when she got uh, she had a little yellow lab by the name of Denver. And I knew Denver and he was a great dog. But what she did was when she first got him, she just practiced trading with him all the time. So she gave him some kind of chewy. She had two of them, identical ones. She gave him one and he settled in on it. And then she walked over with an identical one and kind of waved as, oh, Denver, look at this one. What I've got kind of the Barbie thing. Right. Right. He left the first one. She gave him the second one. He chewed on that for a while. And then she traded. So they played this game of trading back and forth on this chewy until she finally gave it back to him with a big smear of peanut butter on it. So what Denver was learning was when Robin comes near me, when I have something important, it's worth my while to kind of look up at her because good things are going to happen to me. Things are not bad. Things are not going to happen to me when I have something that I value. So. He learned to um, exchange, to trade. So one day she's sitting in her home office and she hears this pat, 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 which was Denver's, I've got something for Robin walk, right? As he's coming down the hallway. So she just idly reaches over, grabs some treats out of her treat jar on her desk, which everyone should have a treat jar on their desk, turns around and says, what you got, bubblehead? And he dropped a paring knife. Now, her kids had been making sandwiches, and the paring knife apparently fell on the floor, smelled like roast beef, and Denver picked it up. But instead, if, now, if Robin had punished him for taking things he wasn't supposed to have, he might have thought, well, this smells really good, and I really like this. I'm going to slink off somewhere and chew on this, because if, I, if Robin comes by, she'll take it away from me. But that's not what he thought. I think his thought process was something like, huh. I wonder what Robin's going to give me for this, right? So he drops the paring knife. He gets a bunch of treats. Nothing happened. What it could have been an extraordinarily serious situation. Right. right. So I think it's important to understand that the more you practice this kind of thing and make it a fun game for your dog, the more willing and easier it's going to be for you to get something from your dog that he really shouldn't have. Because it's not going to be something where he's like, oh, crap, here she comes. I know she's just going to pry my mouth open and take it away and it's not going to be any fun. And I think it's that's that to me was a really valuable lesson to learn was the value of teaching my dog that when I approach you, it's OK. Well, and, 
and I understand the people who, who, when I, you know, try to talk to them about it, say, well, listen, dog trainer, the point is I want them to stop getting the shoes and I want them to stop doing this and stop grabbing that. I get that. That's actually so sadly, like that's a little bit of a human problem, right? There are a lot more no's in our dog's environment than there are yeses. Like, okay, even even if I had 20 toys for every dog in our household, it's still nothing compared to the bajillion things in my household that I don't want my dog to mess with. The, The most important skill. You mean like butter on the table? Yeah, there's so many layers in that whole thing that it's, it's fascinating. So, so for one, I I tell people whether it's an adult dog that they just adopted or an adult dog that they're living with that they're frustrated with or a puppy, puppy or dog proof one room. Don't try to do it to the whole house. Introduce the space, have things put away. And have out the things and make a big deal about the things that you want your dog to interact with. Remember, if your dog is getting more attention for the thing they're not supposed to do than the thing they want them to do, they're going to repeat the inappropriate behavior. So it's also, I mean, this is the Your Family Dog podcast. We're assuming most of you either have kids or grandkids, right? This is a wonderful way to start teaching those executive skills to your kiddos, right? To say, hey, we're going to get Denver out of the crate. We probably need to take a look at the family room and see what things we need to pick up and put away that Denver might be interested in that would be dangerous to him. And what are we going to give Denver to play? Like, what are we going to do with Denver? What's Denver going to chew on? How are we going to keep Denver successful? So you're modeling for your kids exactly the things you want them to learn so that they can have a great love and affection for dogs moving forward, not just this dog. I want them to think about like, hey, if the dog chewed up my video game controller, that would be kind of a rough day in little kid land. Right, right. I was going to, when you were saying that, it reminds me of the Family Paws Education Center has a lot of really wonderful videos or videos, I'm sorry, handouts. And one of them is um, the uh, success stations, which is tethering, crating, and gating. And so I think one of the things that they show, and they have another one about grumble and growl zones, lots of really good handouts. But in conjunction with making the room as safe as possible for you know Denver as well, for the dog as well as the kids, right. is... If the kid wants to sit down and do Legos, right, and you want the dog to be nearby, that's a perfectly legitimate time to put up an X-Pen or a, or a gate and give the dog something valuable on his side or of the Or have gate. a leash and, and grab some of yeah. your dog's dinner and be reinforcing and massaging your dog for hanging out. Like, I used to cut toenails while kids were playing on the floor all the time because I was going to be sitting on the floor supervising the dog anyway. So that was a good time to do my toenail conditioning or, you know, for the pug, cleaning his facial fold or whatever. Like working with my dog on the the goals I have for him while I'm keeping my child company and keeping the dog from ingesting Legos, um, you know, and making sure Legos aren't ending up where they're going to cut my feet open later. Okay, so I did learn from my Doberman 
that if he came in and he was holding his mouth funny, there was something mm-hmm. in his mouth and that I did not need to ask him what he had until I had him outside. This, <laughs> this was, it, I was a little slow. It took me a while. I was half-winded about this. More than once I said, huh, Gus, what do you have in your mouth? And he spit a live creature out in my house that then took off and we had a heck of an exciting afternoon. I now know when I suspect that the dog has something inappropriate in his or her mouth to take them out into a fenced yard before voicing my curiosity. Because an outcome of the dog spitting out a live chipmunk outside way better than spitting out a terrified live chipmunk who will invariably be on the edge of birth inside my house because that gets crazy (laughs) oh yeah did i did i tell you about the um the the flying squirrel that was in our house (laughs) okay so one one night I'm headed off to bed and I, we have a hallway upstairs and I'm headed down the hallway and I've got Zuzu with me and I come up to my off. I'm up by my office and I have a gate across my office door because when the grandkids were living here and Zuzu needed some space from the grandkids, I could put her in there, close the gate. And there was a little sign that said Zuzu's alone zone. And if the gate was closed, they couldn't go in unless they asked. So anyway, so I had the gate there and I look in, in standing in the doorway to my the dressing room that's attached to my bedroom is a, is a little creature. And I'm like, huh. I wonder what that is. Two. Yeah. I'm like, so I'm, I'm a part of me is just totally analytical. It's like, huh. Too big for a mouse. Right. You start doing the different. Too small. Right. Is it a too big small foot? for a squirrel. No. So I'm like, but nonetheless, not something that Zuzu needs to encounter. Right. right, like did Brad so suddenly I put, did Brad suddenly take up fruit bat husbandry? Probably not. Right, the not, and it's standing, it's sitting on the floor, right? So it's, I know it's not a bat. Oh, okay. So I, since I'm right at my office, I just Zuzu, go on in here, sweetheart. So she goes in, and I close the gate, and I get a little closer. I realize it's a flying squirrel. And it dashes into my bedroom. So I close the door to the dressing room and the door to the bedroom. And then once again, yell, Brad! Right, and you're trapped (laughs) with a squirrel. Flying squirrel. So we figure out where where it's at. And we catch it, right? And we release it on the hill nearby. But then we find out that flying squirrels have a pretty big radius. So it gets back in the house. (laughs) So... We start trapping flying squirrels, right? And so then, so we we take them a little bit further, and then we finally decide there is Denison University is here in Granville, Ohio, and they have a biological preserve. So we trap flying squirrels, and then we take them in the car to the Denison preserve, where we go to Flying Squirrel Trail. It's literally called Flying Squirrel Trail, and we release them. On Flying Squirrel Trail. I'm surprised yes. it's not Julia Smith Flying Squirrel Trail. Apparently not. Anyway, so now we're rele- trapping and releasing 
<laughs> in the bio preserves. So um, anyway, but but the thing that I was thinking about was that I once again I had a mo. It was like it was the temptation was to scream, "Oh my God, what is in the?" But I was like, "No, you always have a minute. You almost always have a second to respond." And my first thought was, "I wonder what it is." Zuzu doesn't need it. Let's get her. This is before we had Clementine. So we only had one dog at that point. So let's get Zuzu in the in the office where she'll be nice and safe and sound. Isolate the animal and get rid of it. So it's just another reminder that, um, well, if you live in a 150-year-old house, you get flying squirrels. You just can't plug all the holes into the house. It just doesn't work. But I think the, 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 the upshot of this is we need to trust our animals that they're telling us stuff that we need to know. And I think that we can also trust them when they've got something and they think it's valuable. We can say, okay, I understand this is valuable for you. I don't necessarily want you to have it, but we can work on this. You know, we can work on making a trade so that you're happy and I'm happy and we don't end up either swallowing something we shouldn't swallow or end up, you know, doing some damage to our relationship. So I think that that honestly we can we can respect what they value, that doesn't mean we have to let them. Well, and the more you're, you've built over time, a cooperative, trusting relationship with them, well, you can leverage that a little because I do live with an entirely separate dog, um, Mr. Who, if he had a dead squirrel, I would just have to bring all the other dogs in and let him just like hope that he gave up the squirrel and didn't consume the whole thing or have a bad effect from it because he, the family that he lived with previously went to guns and pried stuff out of his mouth all the time. And so he is a dangerous resource garner. So we went hiking with him two weeks ago and from a trail, he dove on something in the, um, in the brush um, so I did not know what Mar- what Mr. had in his mouth. Thank goodness I had some chicken jerky treats in my pack for his with water and his water bowl. And, you know, I had some food to to like encourage him to let me see whatever the heck was in his mouth um, because I didn't know what he grabbed. Like, I, I don't know. And I think, right. and that is where it becomes an emergency that you start to go, okay, I don't, I don't know what he's yes. grabbing. Is he eating drugs? Like, is he eating, like, what's he eating? Um, and we're out on, you know, scaly mountain, like who knows what's out there. So um, there are things that are dangerous to our dogs. It's much easier. I think if you can identify what the dog has, like dogs have eaten squirrels for millennia. So if, if right. Mr. Eats a Squirrel, while not ideal, it, I'm going to call my vet, but things are probably going to be fine. Like, I don't think that poison control, my guess is if I called animal poison control and said, hey, my dog ate a squirrel, they would say, congratulations, just don't feed him as much dinner. Right. Watch for, watch right. for whether or not, you know, the skull passes. I, I don't know. Right. Like, yeah, trust his colon. Right. And, and you know, um. There are, and, and it's not like, well, not distant squirrels, but it's not like they're an endangered species either that we have to try and save. Um, yeah, dogs and squirrels have had this sort of love-hate relationship for millennia. And uh, it's just, it's it's just, for me, 
you know, it was great in some ways about having Zuzu go after the birds was it was a reminder to me that she is not my child. She is my dog. Right. And so every once in a while, I think I need to be reminded that these are animals, you know, that, that what I'm doing, what I'm living with are animals. They are not furry humans. Right. Like <laughs> Mr.'s a Jack Russell Terrier. Do I really expect him to ignore a squirrel? Like, is that even a reasonable, no. yes. is that even a reasonable expectation? Like, should we bring home hamsters? Probably not. That would, getting a guinea pig would probably be unkind to all of us. Especially the guinea Especially pig. Especially the guinea yeah. pig. Well, that's why I can't have chickens, because Zuzu kills chickens. She just does. Um, so... I think it's important to understand that, that they are not furry humans, that they are our dogs and they're following their natural instincts and that their instincts and their desires are going to be at cross purposes with ours at times. And if we understand that, then we can work with the problem at hand and to understand that in the vast majority of times, if your dog has something that you don't want him to have, it's not an emergency, and you can handle this with a certain kind of aplomb that will make it easier the next time this comes around, and also preserve well, your relationship and, with your dog. And let's say you decide to go to the mattresses over something, and you do harm your relationship with your dog. You end up in a big conflict. You need to you need to then repair it, right? Um, earlier, Julie was talking to me and I've had a spectacularly rough week. And I realized in the moment that I was communicating in a way that seemed far more harsh than I intended. Not because Julie was frustrating me at all, just because I'm just not super comfortable in my skin today. So I stopped and said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm accidentally splashing some stuff on you that I'm not meaning to splash because I'm having a rough day. Right. And Julie beautifully like let me vent and we talked through it and started laughing and I, I felt much better. And so we can record today. The same thing happens in our relationship with our kids or with our spouse or with our dogs, where we sometimes end up in a conflict that we didn't intend to be in a conflict. Right. Um, you and I did not, I don't think, I think you were getting frustrated, but I don't think we were in a conflict, to clarify. But No, no, I didn't think it was conflict. I was just kind of like, like wow, I, I, did, I, was more, I was more confused because I'm like, I'm not disagreeing with right. you. Well, and so what's funny, so so you'll laugh when you said I'm not disagreeing with you. I was like, I'm not, I, I started to say I'm not disagreeing with you either. And then I thought, well, why might Julie think? that she thinks that I think that she's disagreeing with me. Oh, because my tone <laughs> is grouchy because I'm like crazy, stupid, stressed and tired. So, so it's the same thing. Like the, an energy was brought into the interaction that had some consequences that I hadn't planned on and, and wasn't even maybe even aware that I was that stressed. Right. So the same thing happens with our dogs. So if if Mr. gets a squirrel, my go-to is to try to save the squirrel. And I might accidentally harm my relationship with him or get in a disagreement with Mr. And my relationship with Mr. is way more important. Um, so if I pry something out of his jaws, I need to remember that that puts it 
on my to-do list as like an A-plus priority to work on conditioning. You no, know, when I take things out of your mouth, you get them back. Like it's not, like it's, this is cooperative. I'm not fighting with you. We're not having a conflict. The same way that if he had to have Panicure out of a syringe, which tastes horrible, that I'm going to have to do some conditioning of getting yummy things out of a syringe probably for weeks, lots and lots of repetitions, so that when he sees white stuff in a syringe, he's not ready to go to the hammer and tongs with me about that. He's happy and cooperative, and we have a plan going forward to keep my dog comfortable and relaxed about husbandry and cooperative, even though sometimes things are unpleasant. Right, right. All right, then. So the bottom line is, is that with trading, most of the time, you have a little bit more time than you think you do, that uh, it's something you might want to practice with your dog so that, well, for one, so that you have built some skills so that you're more comfortable with the process as well. Yeah. And you can totally practice with things the dog doesn't care about. Right. And so that way you have built your own muscle memory and that's going to make things easier. And you've also practiced being calm with your dog. So anyway, hope you enjoyed our stories. Um, Tina and I tell these stories simply because one, um, we want you to understand that we are pet owners as well as, as dog trainers and that, you know what, we don't do everything perfectly either, but we've learned from our mistakes and we hope that you can learn from our mistakes as well. So. Right. I mean, we're all in this together and we're all on a continuum and you easily could get two dog trainers on a completely separate podcast who would tell you all the reasons why we're wrong. Um, and in something well, like that's the old joke is, is if, if there's three dog trainers in a room, the only thing the two are going to agree on is that the third's doing it wrong. So, um, well, so it'll be interesting to see if you and, and Robin team up against me next time on your family dog. dog. All right. See you then. Thanks for listening to your family dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.